0: I mean, seriously, let's just pray and go home. I mean, honestly, I mean, my goodness. Thank you guys for leading us. And we ain't going to do that, by the way. But thank you guys for leading us in, in, in worship to the throne. He, he is our king. Amen. The Savior of the world, the substitute of our sins. Man, what a promise that is. It will never lose its power over me. Can we say that again? It will never lose its power over me. And God's people says what? Amen? Amen. Man, what a promise. Take your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Second Peter. We're going to be in this for two more weeks. Not this week and next week. I think the last week I said three weeks. But we're going to finish this thing next week. Do you believe me? <laughs> That wasn't very assuring right there, but we're going to finish this thing next week. That's going to give us four weeks of Christmas, and so we're excited about the Christmas season. Tonight, 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 we have our Thanksgiving service. We've been doing this, I think, five or six years. It's a beautiful service. It's centered around uh, the two ordinances of the the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And as Brandon said earlier, we've got 30 people being baptized tonight. 30 people being baptized tonight. So praise the Lord uh, for that. I've had... I've had the tremendous uh, honor to sit with these individuals and to hear their stories. I mean, I stand before you with goosebumps because I'm telling you, man, to hear, um, you know, stories of miracles, of deliverance. Of redemption. I mean, it's we've got we've got uh, husbands and wives that are coming into the pool. We've got families that are coming in together. We've got little ones that are coming in together. Uh, different stories, different backgrounds, but there's a thread that runs through it all, right? The grace of God, the mercy of God, the pursuit of the Holy Spirit, the redemption that is found in a Savior, and it is a beautiful picture as they come into the waters of baptism, recognizing that there's nothing magical about these waters. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us, and as we come into the water a baptism, it symbolizes what? It symbolizes the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, as the Apostle Paul says. And so as these individuals come in tonight, it's that picture. That they're identifying with a Savior as they go back into the water. They're identifying with the death of Jesus. That their sins were laid upon his shoulders as they go under the water. What are they identifying? With the burial of Jesus. But we do not leave them in the water. Amen? Amen. Baptism by immersion, not submersion. There's a difference between the two. We bring them out, and it's the beautiful picture of what? That we serve a Savior that is risen. And so tonight we're going to celebrate that in the lives of God's people. And then we'll, we'll, we'll finish the service as we gather around the Lord's table. And so uh, I encourage you to come back tonight. Um, I challenge you because as we go into Thanksgiving week, I know this can be a stressful week. How many of you are, tra- are traveling? Raise your hand. How many of you are traveling? Okay, good number of you. How many of you have family coming in town? Raise, let's just have a special prayer right now for everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Love our family. But this can be a stressful week, right? I mean, we can get caught up in this stuff. And so, you know, our title of the series is Live for More. And, and it goes beyond this series. This is something that the Lord has really carved out in my heart, carved out in our, in our staff's heart, to live for more. That Thanksgiving is more than just what the world celebrates it as. Yes, we're thankful. We're thankful for all the things that we have in our lives, but it goes beyond just a holiday. We should live a life of Thanksgiving. And so we live for more. As we go into Christmas, we know that it's more than what the world just says. It's it's more than just Santa and presents and all that stuff. We live for more because we know the true story of Christmas, that it's the celebration of the birth of our Savior. As we go into the new year, right, I mean, Easter, it, it, it falls into every category of our lives that we live for something more than what we can just see with our own eyes. There's some of you in this place this morning, you're in a struggle, you're in a storm, but you know there's something more to it. You know, it's not random. It's not a coincidence that God is doing a work in you. He's doing a work through you, that he's working in the midst of the details of whatever that storm may be. And that's the hope of God's Word. That's the promise of God's Word, that it's more than just the the, the struggle and the pain. It's more than just the storms. There's something that God was going to be glorified in. There are eternal ramifications in the work that God is doing in our lives in the here and now. As we come to 2 Peter 3... We know, that if you've been with us, uh, that Peter has been, again, identifying false teachers. Last week in chapter 2, I mean, he absolutely identified who these individuals are, who are creeping into the church and teaching a different doctrine. Specifically, they were attacking the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. And so as we move into chapter 3, what you're going to find is this. The first word is beloved, meaning that, okay, he's now speaking to God's people. He says that four times in this passage of Scripture. You can really break down chapter 3 in kind of three ways. Verses 1 through 9 is is him countering the arguments of these false teachers uh, pertaining to the second coming of Christ. And he gives evidence, strong evidence, to stand against their arguments. Verse 10 kind of stands along. It's the judgment of God. And then what you find in verse 11 through 18 are the, 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 the ramifications for us as believers. What does it mean for us, the second coming of Christ, in the way that we live, in the way that we interact? I want to invite you to stand with me in reverence to reading God's Word. Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 10. Peter says this, Beloved. I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds. Notice that he's, he's giving a difference between the minds of the false teachers and the minds of beloved, the believers. If you remember in chapter 2, we talked about the minds of the false teachers, that they were adulterous minds, that they were led by their sensual desires. So he wants to make sure that he counters that with now God's people who have pure minds, a redeemed mind. I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved, By the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. And perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, we see that again. Do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And as a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not delayed. The Lord is not late. That's what that word means. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us. Can I get an amen? Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? He is long-suffering towards us. He is patient towards us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And then he declares, verse 10, kind of stands along. It says this But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we stand upon the promise of your word. Lord, we rest in the promise of your word. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ our risen Savior, our King. And Lord, we know, as your word tells us, Lord, we know that he is coming again. And Lord, our prayer is that when Jesus comes, that he would find us, his people, the church, faithful about his business, not our own, living for more than just what's in front of us. And so Lord, this morning, as Peter says, stir our hearts, stir our minds, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not have the assurance of salvation, that does not have a personal relationship with Christ, that has never called upon a Savior, turned from their sins, and confessed Him as Lord. Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. So Lord, this morning, have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Change us. May we be different when we walk out of this place today because we've encountered the truth of your word. We've encountered your presence through corporate worship. May we be different when we leave this place. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we know now again, as you come to chapter three, this is kind of the climax of this letter, right? I mean, chapter two identifies the false teachers. Chapter three, he's now speaking to believers. Let's go back to verse one and two. And I want you to notice the word that is repeated through these two verses. Look what he says. Beloved, I write to you in the second epistle, in both of which I stir up, what does he say? Your pure minds by a way of reminder that you may be mindful. Do you see a word that's repeated there? What is it? It's the word what? Mind. That's so important because where does the battle take place? The battle takes place in our minds. And so what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to stir up your mind. I, I pray I don't fall into this pool. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like, I'm walking around here. There's cords everywhere, and this thing's on live stream, and that would be awesome because it would go viral. All right, so listen, so <laughs> that would not be awesome. I don't know why I said that. I don't want to go viral for falling into a pool. But anyway, so what? What was I saying? The mind, the, mind, the battle of The mind. <laughs> Because the mind can sometimes go in different places, amen? <laughs> squirrel, you know what I'm talking about? That's me, and I'm up here, squirrel. Love your hat, by the way, in the back. That's an awesome hat right there. Look at that hat, lobbyer, squirrel. All right, great hat. So, the battle of the mind, every single day, you walk into this place, what? The battle of the mind. You're looking at your circumstances, right? And, and what, are, what, are, what is the lens that you're looking through? Are you looking at it through your emotions? Are you looking at it through your feelings? Because let's be real, they can lie to us. They can lie to us. Are we looking through our lives? Are we looking through the evil and the chaos of this world through the lens of God's Word? Are we looking at our storms through the lens of God's Word? That is a battle, right? That is a battle that we are in every single day. And the Bible talks about capturing the mind. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Listen to what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Listen to verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down arguments and anything that tries to come into the place where our mind should be fixed on God. And then he says this, bringing every thought into captivity. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If you're anything like me, right, you wake up in the morning and the mind takes off. And the mind takes off into places that aren't in the Lord because the flesh is natural. The flesh comes quick. And so what does the Bible say? The Bible says we have to be diligent. We have to be intentional. We have to engage in our walk with the Lord. We have to fix our minds. We have to capture our thoughts and set our eyes upon the promise of the Lord that we are living for something more, that this isn't just random chaos in my life, but there's something that God is doing in and through it that he could not do otherwise. And so, Lord, I don't want to miss it, right? I only want to go on the field trip one time, Lord, right? I want to learn the lesson the first time, right, Lord? Fix my eyes upon what you're doing. Change me through the work of your Holy Spirit. Peter says, I want your mind to be stirred, your mind to be stirred, and be reminded of the promises of God. And specifically, what does he deal with here? The second coming of Christ. These false teachers who have crept into the—they weren't from the outside. They were inside the church. And Peter is writing to them saying, hey, if they're countering the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, they are teaching a false doctrine. And he uses arguments to defend it. What you find here in chapter 3 is he gives three specific arguments to defend the second coming of Christ. But we know that this is something that you find all throughout God's Word. If you think about it, there are 27 books of the New Testament. Twenty-three of the 27 speak explicitly about the second coming of Christ. 23 of the 27. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. Out of those 260 chapters, there are 300 specific references to the second coming of Christ. You find words like appear. You find words like revealed. You find words like he's coming. I'm going to give you some verses this morning. If you've got a pen, I want you to write these down. This is a great exercise to go back. If you've got a phone, type them in. Don't check your email. Type them in. And just go back and read these verses. Listen to this. The first one, Hebrews 9... Verse 28, sweet. We've got them up here. Look at what it says. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him. Are we eagerly waiting for him? He will what? He will, say it with me, appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Here's the next one, Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 30 through 31. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will what? He will Appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth were mourned, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his people, his elect, from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Here's another one Colossians 3 4. When Christ, who is your life, do you hear that? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I need an amen on that. I need an amen. Wake up. You got your coffee. Here we go. I need an amen. Here we go. Look at this one. First Timothy six thirteen. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blemish until what? The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about, notice this phrase, in his own time. The word revealed, here it is, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. And to give you who are troubled, are you troubled this morning? And to give you who are troubled, rest. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, Lord Jesus come, amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 1, 7. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus to be, here it is again, Revealed. Notice what Peter says in his first book. You might remember this back in the spring. We spent a little bit of time in it. First Peter one thirteen says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Once again, speaking to the mind, prepare your minds for action. Be self controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me give you two more. First Thessalonians three thirteen. Notice the word come. He may strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? He will strengthen our hearts when we stand holy and blameless in the presence of our God. That the blood of Jesus has covered our sins. That we will stand before a holy God on his throne blameless. Think about that this morning. Holy. Think about that this morning. It strengthens us in our journey. To know that, man, I'm a sinner. I've got baggage. I got stuff, and we all do. Can I get an amen? Amen? amen. If you didn't say amen, you just lied So Now that's your baggage. We got baggage. Amen. We got stuff. We got mistakes. We got faults. We got failures, every one of us. And to think through the blood of Jesus that I will stand holy, blameless before the throne of God. Man, that strengthens your heart, right? That brings joy to your heart, right? In the midst of darkness, in the midst of a struggle. To know that he's one, right? That's what we just sung. He, he's one. He's purchased us. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Two more. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last one, James 5, 7 through 9. I'm just going to give you a little bit. Not 7 through 9, just 7. Be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And so we know, right, 23 of the 27 books speaks of the second coming of Christ, 300 references speaking to the second coming of Christ. And so now Peter says, listen, we're going to give a defense. We're going to give a defense to your argument of the second coming of Christ. Look at what he says now in verse 3 and 4. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's go to verse 3 and 4. He says this, because of false teachers, right, knowing this first, that scoffers, mockers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. He just gave us a full description of that in chapter 2. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This argument, here's a big word, uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism. Can you say that three times fast? I can't. Uniformitarianism. What are they saying? They're saying things just happen in the earth and they don't change. Like you go back a thousand years and things are just moving. There's no, there's no moment. There's no great, you know, climax where God enters into his creation. That's their argument. Where is your God? Where is Jesus? You've talked about the second coming. He's not here. So Peter defends it. I mean, that's where you find evolution, right? I mean, that falls right into the same argument. The, 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 it's all random that things just kind of move and happen and evolve and that God has no part in it. And so he refutes these allegations through these passages of Scripture, and he uses four sources. I'm going to give it to you. Four sources to defend the second coming of Christ. Four things we're going to see. He uses Scripture. He uses history. He uses eternity, and he uses the character of God. Let's walk through this passage. Look at Scripture, how he defends it. Verse 1 and 2. Let's go back to 1 Peter 3. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of reminder. I'm going to remind you and remind you that what? That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. That's reference to the Old Testament. And of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord's Sabbath. That's a reference to the New Testament. So Peter is using Scripture to back up the second coming of Christ. He says his return has been declared by the holy prophets. You can go back to the writings of the Old Testament. You can go back 500 years, 600 years, and you see that the coming of the Lord is going to happen. Jude 14 says this, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints." Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last upon the earth. I want you to see something. Take your Bibles. You got your Bibles? You have a physical copy of God's Word. Take your phone. Take your tablet. Take whatever you got. If you need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. We got plenty of Bibles, but take your Bibles. Go to Psalm 50. Ready? Psalm 50. I want you to see this. I don't think I have this on the slide. So Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. I love that sound of pages or the tapping of the phone, whatever it may be. All right, Psalm 50. Look at this. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to his going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall what? Come. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall defy before him. Does it sound familiar to what we're reading in 2 Peter? And it shall be very tempestuous. That's a good word. It means stormy. It means turbulent. All around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judged. Peter says, listen, Scripture backs this up. Old Testament, New Testament, right? I mean, you go to the New Testament disciples and apostles, you find it, right? John, the beloved apostle, said in 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We know what Jesus says, right? I mean, John 14 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I've read it many times, often at funerals. Because it is so comforting, the promise that Jesus gives us. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Say it with me. Mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Peter says, listen, the second coming of Christ is is countered by Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. It is countered by history. Look at verse 5 through 7 of 2 Peter 3. For this they willfully forget. Some translations say they are willingly ignorant of. They've forgotten history. They disregard history. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to creation. Then he says this, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word... Oh, wait, I missed it. Verse 6. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to what? The flood. Creation and the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter says, listen, when these false teachers maintain this uniformitarian view of history, they ignore two historical facts. Verse 5, creation. That God created this world in six days, that by his spoken word, this world was creation. He says in verse 5, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were old and the earth standing out of water and in water. Peter says God needed no pre-existing materials. He created this world by speaking it into existence. If you believe it, say amen. 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 He talks about creation, talks about the flood. Verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. These false teachers refuse to view world history properly. It's what Peter's doing. He's reminding them of what God's already done. That's why he says there in verse 5, For this they will forget, or or he says, For this they are willingly ignorant of. Why are they willingly ignorant of? Well, you go back to chapter 2. You go back to chapter 2, and it says that they are dominated by their lust, that they are led by their sensual desire. So, of course, they're going to deny the second coming of Christ. They're in their sins. They're living in the flesh. They're denying that there's something more to this life. I'm going to live for the now. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever been there before? I'm going to live for the now. Only got one life, and I'm going to enjoy it, right? That is a worldly philosophy, that there's nothing more to this, right? That this is all about just me getting as much as I can and having as much as I can, and then it ends. That is a different view than what God's Word teaches us. There's something more to this. Look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, God judged the world through the flood, but when he comes again, he's going to judge the world through fire. While the pre-flood world system was drowned by water, the present world system will be consumed by flames. Second Thessalonians 1, 6-8. Listen to what Paul says. He says this since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you our troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who oppose God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says we're going to counter the arguments of these false teachers. We're going to use scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to use history, creation, the flood, but we're going to use eternity. Look at verse 8. I love this. But beloved, do not forget that this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter says, listen, also don't forget, God's perspective on time is much different than ours. And he quotes Moses from Psalm 94, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the might. He says the amount of earthly time that passes is of no consequences from God's timeless perspective. From an eternal standpoint, when Christ's return may seem far off to us as human beings, is imminent from God's perspective. God sees time a little bit different than we do, is what Peter is saying. I I love this quote. I saw this. It said this, finite people must not confine an infinite God to their time schedule. Let me say that again. Finite people... Must not confine an infinite God to their time sculpture. Listen, this applies to us, right? I mean, there are some of you here waiting, and you've been waiting, days, months, years. Lord, I'm bringing this to you. I'm bringing this to you. I'm bringing this to you. I'm waiting patiently. And what does the enemy do? The enemy counters it, right? The same way we see it right here in God's word. Where is your God? Where is your God? He seems so far off. You don't feel him. Why hasn't he responded? Maybe he's late. Maybe he's busy. I mean, these lies continue, right, to build up, to pile up, right? I mean, the timing of God is something we've all wrestled with. I know I have. The timing of God. But what does the Bible say? In due season. Don't miss that. In the fullness of time. Don't miss that. As we move into Christmas, that's one of those phrases that I want you just to grab a hold of. In the fullness of time, in due season, what does it mean? In God's perfect timing. There were 400 years of silence. Think about that. After Malachi. Where is your God? Where is your Savior? In God's due time. What are you wrestling with today in the timing of God? I can assure you in the authority of God's word that God is not late, He is not early, He is perfect in His time. That's hard for us, right? That's hard for me to keep my eyes fixed upon Him when I'm not seeing the results that I want to see, to stay faithful when I'm not seeing the prayers answered like I want to see. Will I stay in the Lord? Will I continue to seek Him? Will my joy be in the finished work of Christ or am I trying to find my joy in the consequences and circumstances of my life? Peter says, listen, in God's due time, Jesus will come again. He uses scripture, history, eternity. Let's look at the last one very quickly. The character of God to counter these false teachers. I love verse 9. Look at what he says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. Grab a hold of this. Is long-suffering toward us. Is patient toward us. Why is he patient toward us? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, what you're not realizing is the character of God. What you're not realizing is the motive of God, the love of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not late. He is not delayed. He's long-suffering toward us, desiring that all men and women repent and turn from their sins, that all men and women would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because God is indifferent, powerless, or distracted. It's actually because he is merciful and patient and long-suffering and gracious, he delays so that sinners might come to know Christ. Listen to this. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God. It's Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Man, that passage right there, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message right there. Listen, if you're here today, our desire is that you would grab a hold of truth. And the truth that is found in God's word is that there's one mediator. There's nothing we can do to stand before the throne of God, holy, and blame us. There is no religion. There's no morality. There aren't any ordinances that we can do to stand before the God, uh, holy, and blame us. We have one mediator who we go through, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If he came right now, let's just be real. I don't know how you got here today. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe it's your 1,000th time. I don't know. Maybe you're a member. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're here with a friend, and this is all weird to you. I don't know. But the question is this. Do you know this Jesus as your Savior? And we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised this afternoon. He says, listen, he's delaying because he desires for people to come to faith and repentance. But he says, understand there will come a day. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord... That's the phrase that we see all throughout the New Testament. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. We know that the promise of the flood, the rainbow, that God will never destroy this earth by water, but the Bible declares that when he comes in judgment, this earth will be consumed by fire. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. But it's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. How? You say, how? I think it begins by recognition. It's, it's recognizing your sins. Let's be real. It's recognizing that you are guilty before a holy and perfect God. It's recognizing Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and recognizing that there's penalty to that. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Death meaning eternal death, eternal separation from God. There's consequences of our sins before a holy God. But here's the promise. Here's the promise. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were sinners, while we were separated, while we were in our stuff, Christ came and died for us. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls, whoever, doesn't matter what your yesterday looks like, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be, shall be. It is a definite statement. Shall be saved. And anticipate the coming of our Savior. You don't talk about joy, zeal, passion, right? Lord, I don't know how much time you've got me here, but I'm gonna seek you, I'm gonna be about you, because there's eternity. There's eternity. There are things in the here and now that impact the eternity. So don't let me get lost in this stuff get distracted in my stuff or be so overwhelmed by bitterness or sadness that I miss the work that you want to do. I'm learning as a parent, you know, there are some things that, you know, just bring joy to your heart that are unique. And I've got a five-year-old son, Tristan, and at random moments in the backseat of, of a car, he'll just start singing songs to Jesus. Some of them are real songs. Some of them aren't real songs at all because um, they really don't make a lot of sense. But he just says Jesus a lot in the words. And there's just something that just brings joy to a parent's heart, right? I'm learning when your when you're child, when your children are speaking the name of Jesus and we were in the car he loves that mandisa song we all bleed the same you know what i'm talking about that mandisa song and he just blares it out right i mean so we were at a stoplight i rolled the windows down and i was like buddy do your thing man and he just he's just blaring just <laughs> blaring it out and people i mean we're bump like we're thumping in the jeep right i mean we're bumping in. and people at the stoplight are just staring at us. i saw a couple river up magnets but it didn't matter he's just singing <laughs> and yesterday we were in the car and the song in christ Along came on you know the song And it hit me hard as I was thinking about this passage. What are you going through today? Why did God bring you here today? It's not by mistake, I'll tell you that. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? Listen to these words. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground. Is there a storm in your life? Firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. I'm getting ready to sing, the second part. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And he stands in victory. He stands in victory. And because he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought, purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Yo, I ain't done. Nope, nope, nope. I ain't done. I ain't done. (laughs) Grab a hold of this. Got any mistakes in your life? Grab a hold of this. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands, he demands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns, and he is, till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. What a promise. Yeah, now you can clap. Now you can clap. Like, I felt like I was rapping that a little bit. That was, <laughs> I've always wanted to be a rapper. That's gonna out. Truth, right? Truth. What is the enemy trying to lie about to you today? Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I stand. He demands my destiny. He demands my destiny. And because he is victorious, he has raised me to walk in newness of life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I just simply ask you: you know, Do you have this promise? I, I just ask you: Do you have this promise? In this room, can you honestly say, before God, just you and God, that you've turned from your sins and called upon a Savior? It doesn't mean you don't ever sin. There's a change of direction. There's a change of heart. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe not in your head, but in your heart. Christ died for you and rose again. Even in this moment right here before God. If God is stirring in your heart, if God is pursuing you, I pray that you just cry out. Silently, right where you are. God, I recognize I'm a sinner. Man, I got stuff. I got baggage. We all do. But I recognize that, God. I confess it. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to give me the power and the strength to turn from those things. Because I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I cry out to Jesus. Jesus. To Jesus, who came to this earth and died for me upon the cross. To Jesus, who rose again. I cry out to Jesus to save me. To come into my life. To live within me. That your presence may dwell within me. I cry out for that. And that I would live for something more. Something more than just this. I would see your work in my life. I would seek you. Would walk with you. Change. You. We've got our spiritual response team up here, man. They're so faithful each week. Man, I just pray, man, if God's stirring in your heart, don't let the enemy counter that. He's going to downplay it. He's going to downplay it in this moment, and he's going to downplay it when you leave this room. As God is leading you, May we respond. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We believe in you. And we believe just as you came the first time, you're coming again. Lord, we anticipate that day. So, Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful. That you would find us faithful. Lord, help us to lift our eyes off of anything else that is upon and place them upon you that we stand in the power of Christ. We pray it, we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said.